when you think about domestic violence crimes, convictions, not charges, not speculation, not innuendo about cases, but the person is guilty, what do you want to see in a sentence? Do you want to see a deterrent? Do you want to see punishment? Or do you want to see us put rehabilitation first? An Ontario court, Ontario's top court, no less, says trial judges, you've been getting it wrong. You've been getting it wrong. And men are not just in a, um, I won't call it a bargain basement domestic dispute, but we do, we do realize that there's different levels of violence against intimate partners. We do get this. And when men seem to have a plan, whether or not it was sudden or whether it was orchestrated to kill their partners, maybe rehabilitation takes a back seat. Maybe that. I'm going to read you these uh, stories uh, that these sentences that the Ontario uh, Court of Appeal looked at and said, are you kidding? Basically, are you serious? Um, and then you decide for yourself. But I'd like to know your feel for it. Let's take any violent crime beyond domestic uh, violence, which is abhorrent in its own self. What should we be doing with criminals? I'm not opposed to the idea that we have to have conversations about rehabilitating, making someone better, improving their circumstances. Should we take rehabilitation into the process? I know I'm going to hear from a lot of law and order people who are like, Greg, we're too soft. We don't do this enough. Other countries have this right. It doesn't matter if it's the uh, drunk driving sentences that kill people. It doesn't matter even if we're talking about these 18 age girls. Now, I will say age does factor in to a circumstance. I would say that that has to be considered. But I don't think when you when you cross certain thresholds, I don't and, and it's wantonly violent. And we're talking about the potential to murder your, your intimate partner, an ex-wife, an ex-girlfriend, ex-boyfriend, whatever. I'm way past rehabilitation at that point in time. I'm about a deterrent to others and punishment for you. Letting you know that you've crossed the line because you've been convicted of this crime and letting others know, do this, see this person, same thing's coming for you. Corey Cunningham, in this case, the Ontario Court of Appeal did this on Friday, 416-870-6400, by the way. What should we consider in sentencing violent convicted criminals? Rehabilitation or punishment? Here's the case of Corey Cunningham. Stabbed. These facts are not in dispute based on the court, uh, the court's, the court's decision. Stabbed his pregnant ex-girlfriend in the neck. He missed her carotid artery and jugular vein by a centimeter or two. Uh, that's not a shove, and I don't even need to say that a shove's not acceptable either. But this is an escalation of violence. This is, for all intents and purposes, attempting to end someone's life. Ontario Superior Court Justice Robert Goldstein said. A life sentence would have a crushing impact on Mr. Cunningham's chance at rehabilitation. I would respond, and he gave him seven years. My response to that, life sentence would have a crushing impact on his chance at rehabilitation. My thought on that, oh no, how sad for Corey Cunningham. Tough turkey. You committed the crime. You've been convicted of it. The Ontario Court of Appeal upped that to 15 years. He's in his mid-30s. He'll be a free man when he's 49 or 50. That's still too early for an awful lot of people. That's still too early. Some of it has to do with a previous rap sheet. And I don't know why it would. I don't know why it would. 
I want to judge the crime in terms of the actions. I don't think we look at O.J. Simpson had he been convicted in uh, the murders of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ronald Goldman. I know, I know he was acquitted, found guilty in a civil trial. And we look and say, well, he's never been convicted of a domestic violence crime before. When we cross certain levels, I don't think your previous record matters. By the way, in a 2019 case, a man set a house on fire and trapped his ex-girlfriend and two of her children, including a baby, inside. Now, they didn't die, but he only got 11 years. And the appeal court said, this is nuts. How's 20 sound? We already know and we already have enough dispute about what first-degree murder should bring in this particular country. I think it's abominable that the uh, Toronto van killer will get parole hearings, like lots of them. I think it's abominable the Quebec Moss killer will get parole hearings, but he will also. And I think it's a disgrace that Paul Bernardo, every couple of years, they truck him into the court. They say, how have you been? What's going on with you? Any new developments? Are you more willing and able to reenter society when it's all just a charade and a sham? Why do we do it? Why do we even do it? Why do we make the relatives of these people stress out dramatically so? And you might think, well, it would never happen. It could never. It does in some cases. Not the notorious ones I'm talking about. There's not that much potential there. But why do we go through the exercise? Why do we go through the dress rehearsal of even bothering with this stuff? As I mentioned, Cunningham in this case, the one who stabbed his pregnant ex-girlfriend in the neck, stabbed her in 2019, and he arranged for an alibi with a friend before the attack. He robbed her and kicked her to see if she was still alive. The victim survived by playing dead, but she lost her baby. That's a pretty important element of the story. And the justice is worried that a life sentence would have a crushing impact on his chance at rehabilitation. How'd this happen? How'd we get here? And how do we reverse the car around and go in the other direction? Because I'm sorry, it's needed. Dan, you're on 640 Toronto. Thanks for the phone call, Dan. Go right ahead. Thanks for having me, Greg. You know what? Usually, when when we're when I'm listening to you, I, I, we we don't really see eye to eye politically. Okay. But with this, you got to bang on. You know, the the guy that did that to his girlfriend, life, and and the thing is, is that we need to make a, a a step. We need to make a big change moving forward. And I think we take today, and we make it the the age of deterrence, where we scrap this 25 year crap about the, the the cap on the on the life sentence yeah, and you yeah. make it a real life sentence you know this guy that did that to his girlfriend you're gone for life i mean i agree with you completely when you step over a line that's it it's over you've made the choice you've taken someone's you know for all intents and purposes mentally their life is gone you, you you've robbed this 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 girl mm-hmm. of a potential child that she could raise then that's what should happen to you And Dan, I'm never sure. It's a weird one. I'm never sure. I've said this before. Why crime and punishment is a left-right issue. I'm not sure why it ends up being a political issue. I do understand why that we've we've um, we've obviously jailed people for sentences for the wrong things, and we've been way too harsh. And and I do agree. There's been a a, an in a a non-proportionate level of documented racism in the court system. I got that. But at the same time, at the same time that we can have that conversation, yeah, who 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 is the left advocating for here? Cuz they're not advocating for victims, they're advocating for victimizers. I don't get it. You're exactly right, and that's where the pendulum swings too far. Yeah. We can never as a country, you've noticed this, we can never get it right in the middle. It's always 
one extreme or the other. And and at the end of the day, the only thing that affects change is is real effect, mm-hmm. right? So when somebody goes to you know to kill somebody, or even these kids that are running around swarming people, I mean, why do you think they're doing it? Why do you think people do the things that they do in Canada? Because they know, hey, I'm under 18 years old. I'm going to be capped anyways. I'll probably only go to jail for a few years or, or what have yeah. you. So I'm going to do it anyways. Yeah, th- I mean, yeah, you, Dan, I, I got to keep moving. Thanks so much. Um, let's go to Mike. Uh, Mike, you're on uh, 640 Toronto in Toronto today. Thanks for the phone call, Mike. Go ahead. Hey, Greg. Thanks. I love listening to you. I, Thank you. I mostly agree with you. Um, 99% a change is needed, but I cringe sort of when we talk about deterrence because mm-hmm. a life sentence for me is not a deterrent for me to not murder somebody. But I, I, I think that I, I see the world very different from a potential murderer would see it. So, uh, you know, a life sentence in general, I don't see that as a deterrent. I I see a person who's going to murder somebody in that moment. They're not thinking, oh, wait a second, am I going to get seven years or am I going to get 25 to 30 to 50 to life? I, I, I agree that we need a change, but to cloud it with the idea that locking people away for their life is a deterrent for future murderers, you know, I, I just don't see how that, and I think there's a correlation between now. The and that's US a fair, that's a fair conversation. That, that's a fair conversation because I think what we're looking at is we've got, okay, we've got three things to consider. Rehabilitation's one thing. Deterrent and, and punishment kind of are all more on the, on the one side of the coin, but they are two very different things. Like I'll give you drunk driving, Mike. I don't think Marco Muzo is going to blaze through an intersection at three times the legal limit and kill um, and and wreck an entire family's existence again. But but um, he was reckless, caused serious death and harm to others. And I want him punished for that. And so does the family. Like, I think that's different than is he going to reoffend or not? Right. Those are two I different things. I, I completely agree. When you when you started the conversation that my mind went directly to that case. Yeah. And it's funny yeah. you bring it up because I thought. Let's talk about punishing him for a very long time for his actions, but not assuming that that's going to deter me from getting behind the wheel, you know, with a case of beer in my hand and not do the same thing. So it's a, I need to learn that, not, a, not through a deterrent from another person's incarceration. I need to learn that through a different mechanism way, way, way in advance of me ever picking up a beer. Like, let's, let's punish people for a very long time, but then let's really work on something else. I don't have the answer. But let's yeah. work on something to, for deterrent, but not assume that locking other people away is going to deter me from doing the same uh, thing. Because I tell you, it's not that's not what goes through my mind. I hear I hear you loud and clear. Thanks for the words and, and appreciate the conversation. I think two things when I was a little kid changed. They've changed now for sure. People don't spank their kids anymore. For the most part, they don't spank them. And I was never spanked, I should say, but I, but I didn't know that my dad hadn't ruled it out. I always used that phrase. I didn't know that he wouldn't. And that sort of changed how I stayed in line. And I think way more people drove drunk. Way more people drove drunk in the 1970s and the 1980s. And somehow along the way, most of us stopped doing that. Why? Well, we didn't want to get our license taken away. We didn't clearly... The crime of drunk driving, whether you got in an accident or not, was not taken as seriously in the 70s and 80s. It sure is now. No one what they're you're thinking my life's going to be ruined. Not I might lose my license for 14 days. Not I might get fined. It's a bit different than that. John, you're on 640 Toronto. I want to make sure we got you on. Thanks for the phone call. You go right ahead. Thanks, Greg, and thanks to you and Chibi. You guys do a great job. I really like your show. Thank you. Um, I was tell- 
You're welcome. I was telling your screener, I'm a re- uh, retired corrections guy. I started in the business uh, in 1990, retired 2019. And unfortunately, in Ontario and in Canada, we don't have a justice system per se. We only have a legal system. And what I what I mean by that is that there's no doesn't seem to be much, if anything, in the way of common sense sentencing uh, at the courts, really at any level. Uh, I, I witnessed some pretty, you know, interesting sentences come back for accused persons when I worked at a maximum security detention center. I've seen guys come back literally with a one-day sentence for manslaughter after five years pretrial custody. Uh, I can't speak to any programming offered in federal institutions, which is where someone would go if they were sentenced to a custodial term of two years or more. But in a provincial institution, which would be custodial two years less one day, uh, around the mid-1990s, that's when they started to really gut the institutions and get rid of a lot of programming. And then when they switched from the smaller correctional centers versus detention centers and put everything under one roof in these great big massive Costco-sized warehouse jails, the programming just fell off the cliff. I'm so glad you make that distinction. What what were the years, double back about 15 seconds, because I think it's so significant, John, and I'd love to have another conversation with you about it. What what was that era where they cut the funding to a lot of those really important programs to deal with rehabilitation? When was that? Mid-90s, right at the tail end of the uh, Bob Ray regime and the beginning of uh, Mike Harris's so-called common sense revolution. <laughs> well, I, I, okay, thanks for the call, John. I, I, I definitely urge you to call again. Like what Justice Goldstein wrote, he's a young man. This is the Corey Cunningham case. This is the stabbing of the girlfriend, the kicking of the stomach, uh, the woman terribly, horribly, um, awfully suffered a miscarriage. He's a young man who has obvious potential for rehabilitation and reintegration into the community. Stop right there. He's lost the right for that to be the sentence that you write. It does not represent the totality of who he is. Doesn't matter at that particular point in time. And this was plotted with the aid of an accessory. This wasn't a random, sudden act of violence. It wasn't. So how's 15 years sound? Make it to me. Make it 30. Enjoy the Crowbar Hotel. Like that's where you belong. Plain and simple. Count yourself lucky. It's not worse. And count yourself lucky it's not Mississippi or Alabama because we know you'd get 50 years down there for the same crime. Seven. Seven, Justice Goldstein gives him. All about the rehab. And seven, by the way, would turn into three or four. We already know that this is the case. Like, it's you can write the script for these things, and we shouldn't be able to.